Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is show number 37 of the MMA podcast that brings you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head and joining me, as always, is Mr. Chamat Sandu on the other end of this very high quality Skype line. I'm very pleased with it this week. Sandu, how are you, mate? I'm very well. And I guess aside from our passion for MMA, we're both very happy football fans this weekend. Um, oh, yes. I know that... Gillingham stayed up in Division 1. Yeah, by uh, skin of our teeth. <laughs> by one point. And if uh, if Port Vale had managed to score a goal uh, in the last five minutes of their game, then I'd be crying into my beer right now. It was that close. So, uh, yeah, we're good. And and your your Spurs boys of uh, St. Totteringham's Day has been banished. Yes, uh, finally. For those who don't know... St. Totteringham's Day is a day that was basically invented, I think, by the Arsenal fans. And that was the day where Arsenal fans would celebrate the point of the season where Spurs could no longer mathematically beat them in the league. That has not happened this year because after years of promising uh, the, uh, the potential of finishing above their, their red counterparts in North London, Spurs have cemented their place above Arsenal in the Premier League table this season and not content with that they're going for the title mate you 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 just need you need Chelsea to slip up twice but you know well yeah you do need them to slip up twice I think you're four points behind is that right we're four points behind uh, look at the end of the day we can only do you know our our end of the deal right we can only keep winning our games uh, and hope for the best Chelsea have been absolutely phenomenal all season long and um you know but yeah this weekend was fantastic to get one on the uh, on the Gooners, you know, at the the very last uh, game at the uh, uh, White Hart Lane, as it's currently known. The, the new stadium is currently being built. That'll be up in a couple of years. Uh, looks like we'll be uh, in Wembley Stadium uh, for our home fixtures all, all next year. But uh, that was that was very sweet. It was very very sweet uh, after years of just kind of being the laughing stock in that particular li- rivalry. It's uh, it's always uh, a good one to get one over them, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was it was it was great. It was kind of bittersweet to see actually because I watched it from home, and um, you know the the atmosphere at an Arsenal Spurs game, whether it's at the Emirates uh, or at the Lane, is always something really special. It is one of the the best uh, derbies uh, in the world in in world football. It's right up there with Man City United, you know Liverpool, Everton, United, Everton, and uh, Barcelona, Madrid, and um, and I worked there. I worked at the lane for about four or five years back in the days of steward. And I worked at Park Lane right in that away section. So I, I had my earful of, of plenty of abuse back in the day from yeah. the Arsenal fans. And um, yeah, and that's the last one. That was the last, uh, you know, Arsenal Spurs game at the uh, at the lane as we know it. But um, it, was a, it was a good victory for us. Uh, like you said, Simon, we've still got a few games to go. Uh, and who knows, maybe uh, this title race will still still take a few twists and turns. I'm hoping it will. Yeah, I mean any any excuse to beat Chelsea will just make everybody's day happy, I think. So so yeah, and you speaking about um Spurs are gonna have a new temporary home. Um Wembley Stadium. Wembley Stadium was really the centre of the combat sports world this past weekend. And as we mentioned on last week's show, we're in a bit of a gap period, aren't we? There aren't that many big uh live MMA shows for us to consume at this point. The next big one comes up in a couple of weeks' time, UFC 211. Is it 211 or 212? 211. 211. 211. Stipe Miocic versus Junior Dos Santos. 
That fight card is insane. We will not talk about that this week. We will talk about that next week as we give you a full and comprehensive uh, Brit Pack style preview of that event. What it means is we've got a bit of a gap week this week. But mixed martial arts, as in terms of the name, is a mixture of all the great martial arts in the world. One of which is boxing. And boxing really did take centre stage this weekend. It took centre stage right here in the UK at Wembley Stadium in London. 90,000 fans packed the stands of that magnificent stadium for Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko. The biggest heavyweight championship fight for many a year. And heavyweight boxing has been in the doldrums for a long time, Sandu. Um, I wouldn't call myself a student of the game when it comes to boxing, but I do watch a, a fair bit of it, and I've been following it you know, ever since I was a kid. And heavyweight boxing really, since the Lennox Lewis era kind of died away, and then the Klitschko's rose to prominence, it just started to fall flat. The belts, which were unified for a while under, under Lennox Lewis, then started to become fragmented. The two Klitschko brothers, uh, brothers Vladimir and Vitali, both held versions of the world title. They refused to fight each other. They promised their mother they would never fight, so they would so, so, so they didn't fight. As a result, it started to break up the heavyweight championship picture. The fights became less and less uh, interesting because of the way that the Klitschkos fought and the fact that they were physically just overly superior to everybody else. Plus, there was no real heavyweight talent coming out of America, which was t- you know is, is traditionally a real stronghold. For, uh, for heavyweight boxing. Now things are beginning to turn around again. The Americans have got Deontay Wilder. Um, we've also got Anthony Joshua over here. Tyson Fury, when he can get himself in shape, is a very, very dangerous fighter and was, of course, the heavyweight world champion. But this weekend it was Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko. What a fight, Sandy. I mean, you know, we watch combat sports as often as we can. I know you're not the most uh, frequent boxing fan, but just from the, just, just, the, you know, the whole package of the show, sitting down in front of the TV and tuning in to watch that, what an experience that whole event was. It really was. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember growing up as a massive boxing fan um, throughout the late 80s and all throughout the 90s and the early 2000s. And I kind of just petered off, you know, um, just when kind of mixed martial arts was coming into um, you know, into in, into the into the array for me personally, anyway, and and like you said, Simon, it, it kind of coincided with the fact that you know, heavyweight boxing was dying, with the Klitschko's kind of holding those belts up for ransom, essentially, um, especially with some of the the matchmaking that was going on, and uh, and over the years, it's basically become a European sport. I think in the last couple of years, with what Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn have done, uh, it's essentially become a British sport, boxing, in terms of. The, especially the heavyweight you know, title picture. Um, you mentioned they got Deontay Wilder in America, but to be fair, like I haven't really seen any of his fights. Like I kind of described today in 2017, I am as much of a, a casual boxing fan as I suppose there is um, a fan of the UFC that will only tune in for a Nate Diaz McGregor fight, right? Yeah. Some or a Ronda Rousey fight. Right. I'm not following boxing on a daily, weekly um, situation whatsoever. Um, I couldn't tell you much about the undercard. I know that Katie Taylor's got you know, a big prospect coming up now. She's under the Eddie Hearn um, you know, promotional family, I suppose. And, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, 
what this did, and I, and I followed this particular fight only because it's in our backyard. It's in London. It's in Wembley Stadium. The minute I heard they were going to try and you know, sell 90,000 tickets uh, and put a, a heavyweight you know, title unification bout on with a Klitschko. You know, Klitschko still holds a name. And obviously, you know, from, a, from a distance, I have been following Anthony Joshua. You and me actually saw his last uh, fight um, a couple of months back. Uh, at the the Grosvenor Casino just before a UFC event actually, and and um, and I, and I couldn't believe it. The way everything came together in terms of the bells and the whistles, the promotion. I, I was a massive fan of the promotion leading up to this fight, and of course, you know they've got this deal with Sky Sports, which essentially means for weeks and months you're going to get prime time exposure and advertising and, uh, and and media hype build up the press conferences the weigh-ins the shoulder programming it's all in tune for the british viewing public and i'm not surprised that there's talks of this doing over a million buys i'm not surprised that they completely filled out wembley stadium and then you put that all aside just to see the walkouts so epic so larger than life and then of course finally the fight itself was just ebb and flow, back and forth. Uh, both men went down at various points. It was a very evenly contested fight right up until that 11th round when Joshua got the business done. And I just thought it was um, it was a landmark moment. It, uh, you know, Again, from, from my perspective, from a casual fan's perspective, uh, and, I, and I've seen this statement written uh, online and social media a lot, you know, it is the, the biggest and the best heavyweight boxing fight uh, for for quite some time, uh, maybe the last 10, 15, 20 years, like you said, probably since uh, the Lewis era, especially with those bouts he had with Holyfield. Yeah, absolutely. And that really is how far back you've got to go before you find a heavyweight title fight that really carried and captured the imagination of the world, not just, uh, you know, the UK or, or the US or, you know, the Germany slash Ukraine market, where, the, you know, the Klitschko's always used to fight in Germany. Um and it was a very, you know, they used to sell out all the time. And, you know, they were a huge draw. But they wouldn't put them on pay-per-view in America because no one wanted to watch 12 rounds of jab and grab from from Vladimir Klitschko. Klitschko used to be a really slick, slick boxer when he first got in uh, to the, you know, the heavyweight scene and was rising the ranks. He used to be a kickboxer, actually, and then transitioned into, into more traditional boxing. Um, and... Uh, then he got knocked out badly by a South African by the name of Corey Sanders. And ever since that fight, he fought a lot more sort of safety first, um, very defensively. But, you know, he's had, a, he's had a ridiculous career. He really has. And the thing that, that, that has always struck me, you know, you can criticize maybe the style of fight sometimes and maybe some of the opponents that he's fought. But he really did beat everybody that there was to sort of take on out there. And, Okay, he might have presided over a, a, a slightly weaker era, but I don't think it, it diminishes him as an athlete and his ability. But the thing that came across, and even on Saturday after he lost, his class in defeat, I thought, spoke volumes. He was, it was interesting because there was zero trash talk going into this fight. There was no, there was no back and forth of any kind between Joshua and Klitschko. Incredibly respectful of each other. Sky love to do this, uh, and I know they do it in America as well. The old head-to-head interviews, chairs turned backwards, sitting there. I think Johnny Nelson, former uh, world cruiserweight champion, was presiding over proceedings as as, as he does. And uh, there's no, you know, there's no heat between them at all, really. 
Um, and for a fight to sell that many, and I, I fully expect it to pass a million pay-per-view buys. Uh, and, uh, you know, for it to generate that much interest, fill an arena of that size with no trash talk whatsoever. That tells you, A, that the market for the sport over here is huge if you put the right people in the right place. And it also tells you that you don't necessarily need to go down the route of trash talk in order to become a box office attraction. Uh, Anthony Joshua has proved that. And yeah, his performance on Saturday was 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 outstanding. You know, withstood some incredible pressure from Vlad halfway through that fight. Looked like he was trying to end it early. Couldn't get it done. Then started to struggle in the middle rounds and then found his second win, came back and stopped him. Amazing stuff. Now, it's worth sort of transitioning across. This is an MMA podcast. Um, well, obviously, we're talking a bit about boxing because it is the big sort of combat sports event of the weekend. Um, when you look at an event like that, Sandy, and you look at the, how, how it's put together, how feasible is it that, the, you, you know, how, how possible could it be, assuming all options were available in terms of television distribution uh, and all of that sort of thing, arena availability, that we could one day see the UFC holding an, an event of that sort of scale? That's such an incredibly hard question to to answer. Uh, I think there's so many moving parts here and so many discussion points. I think, first of all, you look at the UFC and the schedule of events they have, there's just no breathing room. You look how... You know, I mean, Joshua Klitschko had weeks, close to maybe a couple of months of build-up towards this one big event. You just will never get that in the UFC. They're always moving from town to town, from country to country, you know, on a, on a, on a weekly basis. You know, there's just not enough room in the schedule to actually take a pause and build up one big mega fight. I think if the UFC were to do anything like this, they'd have to pull literally every magic trick they know and every big superstar together uh, to create uh, a massive supercard to try and even think about doing a massive stadium like this. I know there was talk in the States of them perhaps going to the Cowboy Stadium in, in Dallas, Texas. Now you've got uh, a stadium being built in Las Vegas uh, for the Oakland Raiders, uh, who are moving from from Oakland, of course, to Las Vegas uh, in the NFL. And you would think that, with that being in Vegas, that perhaps you know in the next four, five, six years, that would be the the best place for the UFC to try and attempt a stadium show. But but also, I mean, again, you have to look at it from markets. You know, if the UFC ever did this, it wouldn't be in Europe. It wouldn't be in the UK or an, or an, on Ireland. It'll have to be in America because it's an American sport. I mean, if you look at the UK in the last couple of years, what's been the two biggest uh, events or the two biggest fights we've had in the UK? Well, the first was Michael Bisping versus Anderson Silva. And that wasn't shown uh, when there was an opportunity it wasn't shown prime time, unfortunately. It was a fight pass exclusive, yeah. right? And then following that, when he was the champion, the very first British UFC champion, coming back home in his backyard in Manchester to defend his title for the very first time, it was at four in the morning, you know? And those are the missed opportunities. And, and again, that may not be a missed opportunity for the UFC because it's clear that the UK market, as important as it is, is not as important as a North American pay-per-view 
audience and, and market. That's where Eddie Hearn, Matchroom Boxing, and and the promoters hit up of, of boxing here in the UK. They don't care about the the US market. They care about the UK market. That's why every every weekend, I think on Friday night, you've got Friday night boxing on Sky Sports, right? That's why every couple of months you've got a big fight taking place, whether it's the O2 Arena or you know like this this past weekend in Wembley, and it's for the UK market. Yeah. Anthony Joshua and Klitschko took place between ten and eleven o'clock at night. Perfect. Absolute perfect peak prime time you can imagine pubs and bars sports absolutely packed you know i know there were a few that were doing you know advanced bookings for tables and, and seatings that just never happens for the ufc hmm. right it just never happens so when it comes to the uk market i just cannot see it happening i mean the closest the absolute closest you might get something uh, uh to, to the nature of a joshua klitschko is if eventually you get a mcgregor fight at croke park in, in ireland right but even then who knows if it'll be prime time who knows if it'll be at four in the morning and that may be a one-off but that's you know <laughs> that is the absolute one-off in mcgregor being a global superstar but yeah if you're going to do something like that it's going to have to be in america and it'll have to be an absolute stack card multiple title fights you literally will have to use your top two or three biggest draws like i'm talking if rousey is still available and willing to fight right now you're using a rousey you're using a mcgregor you're using a diaz brother you know you're using an anderson silver that's the kind of uh, star power you would need uh, and, and in addition to that weeks and months of build-up and preparation and promotion and shoulder programming um through all their channels to try and build something like that up yeah i also think that I think that if you put one a, a big mega card on at Wembley Stadium at the equivalent time that we saw the Joshua Klitschko fight on, you could, with the right card, you could fill the stadium. But the problems are not with filling the stadium. The problems are with everything around it, as you say. The reason why they could... This thing's going to do a million pay-per-view buyers, right? That we've just... You know, that, that, that Joshua Klitschko fight... In the UK, in the UK, and and this is this is just see boxing as a pay per view sport works in this country. Nothing else does work as a pay per view sport, and only the very very elite boxing matches. ITV tried to launch pay per view with uh, Chris Eubank Jr. fight. Now Chris Eubank Jr. is a world championship level com- uh, competitor. He fought a guy no one had heard of. Uh, uh, Reynold Quinlan, I think his name was. I think he's Australian or New Zealander. Uh, no one, no one knew him. No one knew him, and uh, I don't think that pay per view did very well. Um, Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko, that did all right. And uh, you know, Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury, or Joshua versus Klitschko two, or Joshua versus Deontay Wilder, they will all sell. If you do them here in the UK, they will sell and they will sell big. We have a pay-per-view market in the UK for, for top, top, top level boxing. We don't have a pay-per-view market in the UK for MMA. And we won't ever have a pay-per-view market in the UK for MMA until we start getting superstar cards at prime time. And because the American market is so strong and bullish right now, to take an event away from that, to put it over here, is only going to hurt their bottom line. So it's kind of a vicious circle. It's not going to happen until they take the risk of putting a show on over here at that level. But to do that, they're taking a financial hit. So 
It doesn't make any sense to do that. Until we get a British uh, world champion... Well, I mean, you see, Conor McGregor has kind of outgrown the equation now, hasn't he? You know, he's an American superstar, you know? Um, I spoke to a guy in a, in a, in a cafe the other day, and he, he, had, he has no idea about MMA. He's one of the few people I've spoken to who had no, he had no... He said, I'm honest, I have no idea who this Conor McGregor guy is. And then the guy who was working in the, in, in the uh, Beyond the Counter was like, you don't know who Conor McGregor is? He's done this, he's done this, he's done this. And all the other people in the cafe are like, yeah, he's really good, he's really good. But this one guy had never heard of him. Um, everybody, I think, is going to have heard of Anthony Joshua after this weekend. He's a superstar within our own country. He's a gold medalist in the London 2012 Olympics. He's got the backstory. The thing that you mentioned, which I understand what you're saying, but I also think that it can be changed. You said that there was a run-up for this fight. Mm. And I think you're dead right. There was a run-up for this fight. Now, what you said is there was no room in the schedule for there to be a run-up to a UFC fight in the same way. But actually, is that true? Because you then went on and said, and this is in no way me picking you apart from what you said, because everything you said is spot on. You said they had a run-up, because they did. Promotionally, they had a long run-up, and it, it paid off. But they also still held Friday night boxing events, other smaller pay-per-view events. So the thing that happened here was the matchmaking was done for, you know, they basically said, this is the big fight that we want to make. This is the one big fight we want to make. We will make it. And they will draw a line in the sand and say, we've announced the fight. We've given you the date. But there's an age between the, the uh, announcement of the fight and the actual fight. And they're slow playing it, just chip, 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 chipping away. And with the benefits of being on Sky and Sky Sports News, and we've spoken about this with regard to the potential for a UFC, uh, you know, future UFC coverage on Sky, that was able to play out while still holding these smaller events. Whereas with the UFC, they don't really seem to do that. It's, here's our events, bish, bash, bosh, and they're almost treating the fight night events and the numbered pay-per-view events, in terms of how they announce them, um, largely the same. You know, you might get an on-sale press conference here and there, but really, you don't... If, if they say, let's, let's say, for argument's sake, McGregor wasn't going to fight Mayweather, and that they decided on, I don't know, let's say November the 5th, right? Just to pull a, a, a date out of the hat. I don't even know if it's a weekend. Firework night in Vegas, McGregor, Diaz, three. You could announce that today and say, we're going to have that fight on such and such a day and just slow build it, slow build it, slow build it. All your other stuff can still be going, but you've almost got like two concurrent timelines, if that makes sense. Whereas what it seems to be like with the UFC, it's one timeline with a load of events on it. Does that make sense? And I think they almost need to elevate some of these pay-per-view events over and above what they're doing promotionally now like the Miocic JDS fight, heavyweight championship of the world, lift that up, give it a three-month build and just slow play it and just chip, chip, chip away with the ESPN stuff. Get them doing the car wash on ESPN. Not at the same time. Do Stipe one week, then do JDS the next week. Do Fox Sports. And, but again, don't do it all in one great big hit. Drip feed it. And, and I think that makes the fights bigger. It gives people more content to put out. They're not putting out sort of content in one concentrated amount of time. Because once you get to fight week, that happens anyway. 
So just slow playing it. And I think that's where Eddie Hearn did such a good job with the matchroom, uh, with his matchroom team and promoting this fight. It had a long run up. It worked. It wasn't to the detriment of the other stuff that they were running. Uh, and we saw the success in the ring on Saturday night. Um, yeah, I don't think we're going to see a 90,000 UFC show in London. I'd love to see it. But I just think with the business model, it's tricky. They'd have to change the way that they approach things, I think. Yeah, and when, when I when I mean they need a run up, I mean no pay per views, <laughs> because like yeah, for example, yeah. you've got UFC two eleven and UFC two twelve taking place within three weeks of each other. Very good point. To ask yeah. the American public to pay sixty dollars for one and sixty dollars for the second within a space of three weeks, that's a lot to ask for. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd, yeah. I'd considered that actually. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Yeah, the fight nights, no problem at all, because that's on free to air TV. Yeah. That's where you want to be able to. Bit, you know, drip feed a bit of shoulder programming an interview here an interview there and that's where you're trying to get um the wider public to kind of buy in for the pay-per-view so it's actually the pay-per-view schedule i maybe should have been a bit more clearer about that earlier and but here's the thing it's not as if the ufc haven't done stadium shows before they have and very successfully yep. they had you know ronda rousey holly home in australia they had jake shields and gsp in toronto they had just last year they had Vadum versus steve miocic in brazil yep. right I think I'm more talking about uh, a big stadium show maybe in the States or a big stadium show um, in the UK, which is probably a little bit more or less likely to happen. Um, but, yeah, they've got to figure out somewhere, a, a pocket in the schedule where perhaps, like, for example, at the start of the year, they cancelled the very first pay-per-view of the year, right? So there was a nice sort of gap there where mm. you weren't asking your, your audience, your UFC fan base to shell out $60. But when they eventually do, you want to make sure it's a massive event. Um, yeah, so that's what I meant. But yeah, absolutely. Look, they've mm. got the talent, they've got the the stars to do a stadium show. It just comes down to: will we ever get something like that in the UK? I don't know. I, th- I still think that McGregor is the, the closest thing, and that'll be in Croke Park if that ever happens. Um, but even then, you want to have a, a nice supporting cast, even though you've got McGregor at the top. And I suppose that's the caveat with the UFC, and that's the, the best thing about being a fan of the UFC is you're not just buying in for the main event. You know. Uh, UFC fans, MM fans, for the most part, they pretty much will tune in for at least the entire main card, if not the prelims as well. And there's a lot of notable fighters that have been steadily built up over the years, having fought so frequently, three or four times a year. So, but yeah, I mean, it was just it was just amazing to see uh, the expo. And I guess a part of me is just jealous. Uh, you know, the fact that you and me, you know, follow and cover the sport of MMA so much to see boxing get such a massive spotlight on it this past weekend, get such a massive shine, especially here in the UK. Like, I, you know, take my hat off to them, but I'm also jealous. I wish MMA had that. I wish some of the bigger stars had that. I wish I, I wish a Michael Bisping, you know, had that kind of exposure because he's put just as much effort into his athletic fighting career as an Anthony Joshua. You know what I mean? But... You know, very, very happy for Joshua. That's 19 victories, all by uh, knockout or technical knockout. And um, and his star just continues to rise. And, and you know, everyone's calling him the saviour of heavyweight boxing. Uh, I think with some careful matchmaking, he's got some big paydays coming up now. Um, he's already had a few big paydays. But, um, you know, let's see if he could perhaps you know, bring the sport back to back to the US. Because if he can do that... Then, uh, then, then, who knows? We know what the, the you know, potential ceiling is for him over in the US. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I know the whole ongoing sort of 
a comparison between boxing and MMA will, 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 will never stop because there are crossovers there. You know, boxing is an element of mixed martial arts. But as sports, they're run very differently. And I think even just listening to you talk there, the, uh, the old brain was sort of clicking away to myself when I was thinking about it. And it was like, the other thing with boxing compared to MMA is boxing is an incredibly fragmented sport. Um, and uh, mixed martial arts, as branded by the UFC, is an incredibly uh, controlled and packaged sport. They're very different in that respect. So, give you an idea, uh, a hardcore or regular, you know, a hardcore fan of any sport will follow everything about their sport. So that's a given. But let's just say a regular fan of the UFC. They will watch a world title fight, whether it's Demetrius Johnson, all the way up to Stipe Miocic. Every weight class. And a lot of them will be able to tell you, that you know, you... You can sit them down and say, name all of the current world champions in the UFC, and they'll be able to do it without too much trouble. Now, in boxing, it's a completely different kettle of fish because the fighters are all promoted by different people. The events have very little thread joining them together at times. Um, Like, if you only follow the matchroom uh, promoted events, then it becomes a a little more packaged. Because, you know, there is more of a narrative that runs through and they look to match make and, and, and push things push things forward and throw things ahead. You know, they're all, you know, they're setting up the next fight when they finish that fight and so on. Where in the main you've got you've got people fighting in different parts of the world, you've got but it's not all under one banner. So the people who tuned in to watch the Anthony Joshua fight, who are regular boxing fans, might not have watched the Vasil Lomachenko fight a few weeks ago. The hardcore fans definitely will have done. Because Vasil Lomachenko, arguably, is pound for pound the best fighter on the planet right now in the sport of boxing. He's right up there. Um, certainly from a skilled perspective, he's, he's almost untouchable. He's an incredible fighter. Um, but we don't get much of him over here. You've got, to, again, he falls into the same problem that... The UFC does because his fights are on in America uh, a lot of the time because that's where he earns his money. That's where the big paydays are. So those fights are on between 1 and 4 in the morning. So that's almost the comparison we need to make. To compare Joshua with the UFC is almost unfair because they're not like for like. Comparing the big American fights that happen stateside with the big fights that happen stateside in the UFC... Then you've got more of a sort of a level playing field because the fights are happening at the same time. We have TV access to both. Um, and you see a stark difference between the two at that point because one sport is very fragmented and you almost don't know what you're getting week to week. Whereas with the UFC, you've got this... You've got this uh, it's not a full calendar of events. They sort of dabbled with that a year or two ago. Um but what you do have, you've got this running narrative that runs throughout the entire, the entire calendar year. Um, and because you've got it almost every week like that, it means that the pay-per-views are diluted a little bit because there's so many of them. If they only, let's, say they did, uh, let's say they did six pay-per-views a year, the UFC, so one every two months, that would give them that longer run-up that you were saying 
yeah. and it would put, it would potentially allow them to really stack the deck on those cards. But the question is, for that to be financially viable, they need to make more money than they would have made by having one a month. And that's that's where it gets tricky because fighters get injured, fighters pull out, and as we all know, if you lose a main event on a pay-per-view card, that could be catastrophic for your bottom line. So it's tricky. It's like, do you want one big hit that absolutely blows everything out of the water or do you want to be at sort of 80, 80 sort of running at 75, 80%, if you like, every single time, pow, 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 pow. And then at the end of the year, you count up your, you count up your chips, you'll have more money that way. Uh, the one anomaly to that is Conor McGregor, because whenever Conor McGregor fights, boom, you know, uh, jackpot. So, and I guess that's why they want him back in, in the, in the Octagon soon. But it is fascinating, you know, the two different business models. I love both sports. Absolutely love both sports. And uh, I don't, like, you know, some people say boxing's dying. and bo- Not over here it isn't, mate. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love it. I guess the one time a year I reckon the UFC probably could get away with a stadium show, or at least gamble on it, is their July 4th weekend event. Because that's kind of like almost their version of WrestleMania. You know every year UFC are going to have a massive event in their backyard in Vegas over that July 4th weekend. You've got so many punters that are flying in for that weekend anyway to have a good time, right? So, you know, you've got no lack of potential ticket buyers already in town that are looking for something to do. Uh, Plus, you've got fight fans that are going to be there for the expo and just for the whole International Fight Week experience. So if, if, they, if you're going to do it at any time, and obviously you want to make sure you've got some decent weather uh, with a stadium show as well, that's probably going to be your best bet. But, um, but yeah, it's just fascinating. Um, you know, I saw Dana White, and he doesn't normally um, send out any tweets or in- Instagram posts um, for, you know, for boxing too much these days. It's usually very much UFC-focused and heavy. But he gave a special mention to the event, and in particular to Anthony Joshua, um, so that was pretty good to see as well. Yeah, no, it's, I, I don't see any reason why these two sports can't coexist. I mean, they certainly do in my house. And, uh, you know, there is sometimes a little bit of, of uh, a them and us. Uh, sometimes with the boxing media, you get the impression they sort of look down on MMA sometimes. Mm. And I think it is also guilty the other way as well. I think sometimes the MMA media look at the boxing media and say, you know, crusty old dinosaurs and stuff like this when... You know, the truth is probably somewhere in between. But two very different sports, but two great sports as well. Um, we're on the Brit Pack. This is episode number 37 uh, for those who are, who are tuning in. Thank you to everyone for um, for joining us. We've been getting some questions, Sandu. Um, let, let's, uh, let's try and rattle off a few of those and get some of those done. Absolutely. Uh, Daryl Chumbly says, uh, Do Al I Quinter's actions on Twitter, etc., Help him in a strange way. He is bringing more attention to himself. Could that equal more pay? To steal a pro wrestling line, does controversy create cash? What do that's, you think, Simon? That's, that's a very good question. The answer to that question is yes. Providing he knows what's good for him and he, he basically makes peace with the UFC and does a deal. Now, the reason why Stone Cold Steve Austin is such a superstar is because in the eyes of the public and in the eyes of the fans, here was a guy who was sticking it to the man, right? He was, his feud with Vince McMahon was 
uh, one of the great feuds in, in, uh, in, in professional wrestling. But of course, that feud would never be allowed to happen in a real workplace because you had, if you had anything like that for like a week, you'd be out, right? Granted, pro wrestling is not real. Everything's amplified. It's all drama and all the rest of it. Al Iaquinta is having a bit of a go at the UFC, and some of the things he says, there is some, there's some substance to what he's saying, but the way he's the way he's putting it across, I think he's all wrong, and and. He's he's made his initial sort of outburst, if you like, but now he's got to, he's got to tone it right down. He's got to, he needs someone to take him to one side and say, right, you've made your point. You've told everybody how pissed off you are. He's certainly living up to his name of raging out because he's been raging, that's for sure. But now what he's got to do is he's got to peel away all of the bluster and just stick to the substance of what he's saying, and. Because he's a good fighter. I mean, look what he did to Diego Sanchez after two years out. Unbelievable stuff. And and being an outspoken character is fine on the proviso that you keep it within the lines of, you know, what you need to do. Because what happens if the UFC say, well, okay, we, we don't have to give you a fight for another six months. We won't give you a fight for another six months. Or, you know... However it goes when it comes to contract time, they don't want to do that. It's a better talk going to pay more? I don't know. Yeah, so it's a weird one. I mean, I think Al hasn't done anything worse than, say, for example, um, a Nate Diaz. You know, Nate, Nate Diaz and the Diaz brothers in general have been known to kind of FM blind here and there and especially use social media. The difference between what Al's done and what, say, for example, Nate Diaz did last year is Nate Diaz is an inbuilt cult following of an audience, whereas Al's kind of star is still <coughs> rising. He's not there yet. You know what I mean? And so it's a tricky situation for him. Now, could he be doing all this to try and get a release? Perhaps. But I think the UFC, regardless of whether they're going to act on that or not, what they've got now in their hands is someone that's grabbing some headlines. He's grabbing you know, the attention of the MMA fan base. And why not stick him on a card? Listen, you stick Ally Quinta on a Fox Sports 1 main card right now, and I think you're going to have people tuning in just to see what he might say next. You know, so, But it all depends on whether he wants to fight anymore. You know, he keeps talking about this real estate uh, career that he's got going on for him. But then you see that performance, like you said, Simon, against Diego Sanchez, and you're looking at now a 5 fight win streak of course has been the two-year gap but he's a phenomenal talent uh, and he's still very much young enough to to have a long career in the sport and uh, it's just a shame especially at 155 pounds right now where you've got a group of guys in the top end fine fair enough but where's that kind of next two or three guys and, and ally quinta could be at the very forefront of that next wave of guys could be chomping at the bit in the next couple of years for a title shot, you know, very, very quickly. And when you've got a mouth like he has, when you've got a social media presence like he has right now, and when you've got the uh, the in-cage ability that he's shown just last weekend, I mean, that's dynamite stuff right there. Yeah, I think he just needs to get the UFC on side. And if he can still be him and be that outspoken personality but channel it into a different direction. I'm not saying he shouldn't complain about the things that he thinks are just. And, but by all means, go out and do that and say your piece. But, you know, 
telling your employer "f you" in every available interview opportunity that that doesn't really that doesn't really seem to help him when it when it comes to you know improving his future and um, helping him get a better deal because you know Conor McGregor is 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 super rich and successful for two reasons: one, he wins fights, and two. He knows how to play the game. It isn't just mindless yapping, you know. And I think this is where some people get it wrong. It's like, it's, oh yeah, he's just he's just mouthing, he's just talking. He isn't. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying, and he's saying it within the confines of what makes sense. And even when it looked like there was the suggestion of a rift between him and the UFC, that got patched up like that really quick. You know, he had that quotes retirement tweet you know thanks for the cheese and all that stuff and you know we're all hell broke loose for a few weeks but eventually they sat down boom everything sorted no drama that's what we need to have without Iaquinta here we've got an outspoken personality who's a phenomenal fighter they just need to give him the platform that he deserves but him really mouthing off in the way that he has he said his initial bit, and you can put the you can put the first one down to frustration, but the second, third, fourth, fifth, once you start getting into that territory, he's you know that's that's calculated. He knows he's going to say these things, so that's when it gets tricky. I think he needs someone needs to just just wind him in a bit, tell him you've got to play the game here, and and uh, you know if he keeps fighting in the octagon and producing performances like that. The UFC are going to have no option but to push him up there, and in that lightweight division, there's so many, there's so many good fights in there, and there's more coming because Justin Gaethje looks like he's about to join. So, you know, there's so many good fights in that division. Stay relevant, stay active, don't completely alienate yourself from your employer, and you'll end up earning because he's too good not to. Bit of a follow up from Johnny Byrne who says, "Is Ally Quinter's humor on Twitter?" going to make him a bigger star or get him his walking papers. I mean, if you had to make a bold prediction right now, Simon, if Ally Quinta keeps doing what he's doing, do you think eventually the UFC will be like, look, we can't handle this. Um, you know, we're not able to kind of come to terms with him behind the scenes. He's going to keep slagging off the UFC, the brand, the product on social media. If we put him into a fight, all of, all of his fight interviews will be uh, slagging off the UFC. If he wins and Brian stands sticks a microphone in his face in a post-fight interview in a in a co-main event on Fox Sports One, he probably won't have the most the nicest thing to say about the promotion. Do they just kind of cut cut loose with him and, and you know give him the release, or, or, or what do you think? Or do you think they just sit back, keep booking him uh, if he wants to fight? That is, and hope that what he's doing eventually makes him to a bigger star. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, my initial thought is if Al carries on the way he's carrying on. All, I think all that will happen is the UFC could potentially offer him an alright deal and say, take it or leave it. If you want to test the market, test the market, that's fine. And in the end, it'll be a choice of real estate or Bellator. Because you, you, you know Bellator would love him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, an outspoken character who's been very vocal against the UFC, but is absolutely smashing people to bits and is a top top 10 maybe top 5 contender in in their strongest weight class 
you can bet Bellator will open the checkbook and welcome him with open arms. Absolutely no doubt about it. But there is also the possibility that that might be what he's angling for anyway. And if the UFC think that, then they might take a different route and play play hardball with him a little bit. I don't know. I mean, on the face of it, I think if he carries on the way he's carrying on, I could I can't see him fighting with the UFC beyond his current contract. Something needs to change because he clearly isn't happy. And unless the UFC turn around in in sort of in in negotiations and put their hands and go, you know what, you're right, we'll give you all these things. That's not going to happen. So at some point, you know, they're going to need to come together around a negotiating table. Cool heads are going to have to prevail. And at that point, hopefully, we'll see the best of our Iaquinta in the next stage of his career. But if he carries on the way he's carrying on now, I can't see anything for him other than Bellator or quitting. Because I don't think the UFC will want too much to do with him if he carries on like this. Yeah. We've got a couple of questions, no surprise, in relation to this past weekend's boxing uh, at Wembley Stadium. So I'll read them both down and we can get into it. Uh, Graham Hughes says, if McGregor headlined with a decent card, there's absolutely no reason the UFC couldn't sell out Wembley, is there? And then our good friend from Yahoo Sports, Liam Happ, tweets in and says, if the UFC ever themselves run Wembley Stadium, which fight is headline? So I'll, I'll take a stab at this first. I think the answer to both questions is Conor McGregor. <laughs> I, I think... That's who you get to headline, A. And B, yes, I think McGregor could definitely sell out Wembley Stadium. He's the, he's the one guy, he's the one UFC fighter that everyone in the sports world here in the UK knows very, very, very well. He's the one guy that gets coverage from Sky Sports, that gets coverage from BBC. You'll have every single media outlet clamoring over themselves to get a piece of the action if he was to ever headline an event in Wembley Stadium. He'd get all the attention and all the hype and the promotion leading up to it that the, the Joshua fight got prime time here in the UK. Um, and you know what? I, I think with McGregor, perhaps you don't need the strongest undercard. You know, I think with McGregor, you just if it's the Diaz rematch, great. If it's him going for a welterweight title, great. You know? Uh, if there's a, uh, some sort of historic angle to what he's trying to do, fantastic, great. And uh, honestly, I just love to see that. You know, you look back at the history of other combat sports. You know, and you look at what uh, Muhammad Ali did. You know, with the Rumble in the Jungle, and you know, it, I just love seeing when combat sports just uproot just for a one-off, a special event, and just by relocating to a to a different country or a different city it adds that special event feel to it and the ufc have done this themselves when they did ronda rousey holly home that had a special event feel to it when they broke into the canadian market in ontario specifically and they went in to the rogers center with jake shield and gsp that had a special event feel to it you know they haven't gone back since you know because they they can't go back without gsp so yeah, I mean, I don't even think you need a, a second title fight. I'm, I mean, I'm sure knowing the UFC, they would stack it anyway, uh, like they normally do, um, just in case you get, you know, a freak injury and, you know, you get a, one of the headliners, especially McGregor, pulling out. Um, but, you know, McGregor can do whatever he wants now. And we're seeing it right now with this Mayweather situation. He is one of the biggest sports stars in the world, let alone 
one of the biggest combat sports stars or one of the biggest MMA stars in the world. He is right up there with your Ronaldos and your Anthony Joshuas and your your Rory McIlroys and Lewis Hamiltons. He is right up there. So bring Conor McGregor and Diaz over for uh, their trilogy fight and we'll take that all day long. Yeah, I reckon we'll take that. And the other thing, I mean, as you say, they could put on a card and pack it full of British and Irish fighters mm-hmm. who are on the UFC books, much like they do when they come over anyway. They could slap McGregor versus Diaz or McGregor versus the cleaning lady. It doesn't matter. McGregor versus someone as the main event. Two named fighters in the co-main event. And that'll do nicely. People will come just for the McGregor effect. Maybe Ronda Rousey could do that. But her star is somewhat tarnished a little bit now. Um, And I think, you know, the media attention would be huge. Could she sell out 90,000 at Wembley? I don't know. I'm not so sure she could. Connor, absolutely. If Connor McGregor tomorrow said, "Where Joshua did Wembley, I'll sell it out quicker," and then they announce it, you know, uh, you could do you could do flipping McGregor versus Diaz anywhere in the world, and that place will sell out. Cowboys Stadium, no problem. He'd sell that. Um, you know, the Maracanar, no problem. Sell that. It doesn't matter. You know, I. He is the biggest combat sports star in the world today. Boxing, mixed martial arts, thumb wrestling, whatever you want it to be, he is he is the number one guy. He's the biggest draw. So um, that's why we want him back in the octagon, Sandy. This is the thing, you know. The Mayweather fight is all well and good, and you know whether it happens or not, and who, you know, God only knows what's going to happen with that. I want him back in the octagon. He's a mixed martial artist. He's a the number two according to the official rankings right now that up with you know make make of that what you will but he's a number two pound for pound fighter in the world right now um and you know for me he's top he's top five anyway but he's that he's that good he's that good and he's a superstar you know i want him back in the cage i want him back in the cage i don't care whether it's in vegas uh you know london timbuktu australia i don't care anywhere just get him back in the cage let's get the sport's biggest star active in the sport again. That's what we need. That does it for the questions, but just to round out the show, Simon, I thought it'd be good just to kind of share a few musings and share a few thoughts uh, in regards to the sport in terms of what's been on your mind over the course of the last seven days. Anything that you want to share, discuss, talk about before we kind of call it a day to day? There's nothing that's sort of absolutely huge that leaps out of me except for the fact that I think I think we're in a, a really interesting spell right now with the you know the story of the ownership of the UFC is a really really interesting one and we aren't we aren't yet at the stage where we know just what the potential is like now Dana White put out an interview with Megan O'Levy this week it was filmed weeks ago but um or well yeah it was a few weeks ago I think um and some of the things that Dana came out were very interesting talking about you know just just the excitement of him he you know he's a promoter he is he, his job to be excited about his product but some of the things that he was saying about the stuff that they've got planned for further down the line it just it makes me wonder just how they're going to do this and, and just how big this sport can get um i also am particularly keen to see how they how they deal with compensating fighters as well we talked in previous shows about 
how we can improve things on that on that scale. And I talked about having knockout bonus or having finished bonuses rather than win and show and all that sort of stuff. The sport is still really young. As an organised sport, mixed martial arts is still really young. And I think it's very easy, especially for us guys who are so immersed in it, to forget that. And as an organised, legitimate, regulated sport, it's less than 20 years old, really. You know, as a legitimate, regulated... And as a mainstream sport, even younger than that. So, we, you know, as, as a sport, it's, it's got so much growing to do. It's got so much growing to do. And the rate of progress to this point has been really, really fast. And we're at a stage now where there's been a lot of uh, media attention on the fact that it's been bought by this huge, huge company. An awful amount of money has been spent. The question now is, what's the next step? And we still don't know because operationally, or in terms of the product that we see on the TV screens, there really isn't an, an, an enormous difference between what we're seeing now and what we saw 12 months ago. So what I'm really looking forward to seeing is just how that how that progresses, how that changes, and how the sport will get on once it loses its biggest star. Because I don't, I, you know, Conor McGregor isn't going to fight forever. Um, he might not fight in the UFC again. Who knows? I mean, he could fight another four, five, six times. But eventually, they're going to have to move on without him. Um, and how do they produce the next star? And they've done it after Chuck Liddell, GSP, all the rest of it. But this one is different because McGregor has taken it to a level that no one has ever got close to before. And I include Ronda Rousey in this. No one has even got close to what Connor's done. So when he when he falls away, is the sport going to drop a level as well? There's so much, there's so many intangibles right now, and I'm I'm fascinated to see how it all all works out. I just hope that the momentum isn't isn't lost during this transitional period. We've had a not a a stellar start to the year. It's been a steady start. I think what we really need now is a big finish to the year. You know, we're, we're getting to the middle portion of the year and now hopefully we want to see we want to see the big fights kicking in and, and, you know, the next big UFC pay-per-view hopefully will be the start of that because that fight card is insane, that main card. So, uh, so yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. And also the other thing very, very quickly is I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged to see how much more MMA we as UK fans have access to now. We've got the UFC... Still haven't quite got Bellator yet, but we, you know, we're working, we're working on that. We, we you know, we, we, we're we're talking to them all the time. Hopefully, we'll eventually get them live in the UK. But we've got Bammer being shown. They announced this week their their next event is going to be shown live on Dave, which is uh, for those who aren't in the UK, it's a TV channel. Shows a lot of male uh, male oriented content, a lot of comedy. Uh, the David Hay, the recent David Hay boxing matches were on there. Not a terrible fit for Bammer. I think it will work quite quite nicely on there. And you've got Cage Warriors, obviously, on BT Sport and UFC Fight Pass. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the sport develops in the next few years. It's, um, it's It feels like a period of transition right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully this next big pay-per-view will really see the MMA year catch fire again. That's my hope anyway. Well, that was some heavy stuff there, Simon. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was kind of looking at to see what was on your mind and more in the short term. Um, but, some of what, but some of what you said there, this, uh, this transitioned nicely into what's been on my mind. And, and on, on my mind, 
is a, a fantastic month of May coming up. We've got Bellator coming uh, to the UK, uh, to the SSC Arena in London. Um, Neighbours Wembley Stadium, actually, and uh, formerly known as Wembley Arena. And it's going to be Paul Daly versus Rory McDonald, which in my opinion is the best fight uh, so far that we're going to get in MMA, specifically in the UK. No disrespect to Jimmy Manuel and Corey Anderson. That was a great fight to have here as well. But Paul Daly and Rory McDonald, that gets my juices going. Um, and I think it's uh, it was a right move for Bellator to get away from the O2, go to the SSC, which I think is a more manageable arena for them to try and fill to capacity, especially with this card. We're also going to have the return of Michael Venom Page. So that's coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that um, on one of our shows in the forthcoming uh, weeks. We're both, we'll both be there covering it um, to our best of our ability. But then uh, the UFC has also got their uh, their next European show with uh, Glover Teixeira and Alexander Gustafsson, um, and that goes down on Sunday, May 28th. Um, I'll be at both of those, so I'm looking forward to kind of getting a bit of uh, – Fight week action and coverage from both of those, and then, like you said, Simon, UFC 211. Um, it really is the best pay per view uh, on paper that the UFC have, uh, you know, brought to the market so far this year. So yeah, looking just just, just looking forward in the short term uh, to a to an interesting month of MMA. Always good to get the Bellator boys over here to kind of pick their brains, see what's next on the horizon. I wouldn't even be, you know, too shocked. If, if things go well here at the SSC in a couple of weeks' time, that perhaps they might even bring a second UK show um, at you know at the, the back end of 2017. Um, we've seen them do that last year with a couple of shows in Ireland. So let's see if they can do that here uh, in, in England, maybe uh, back-to-back shows in London, especially with some of their biggest kind of uh, stars with like Liam McGeary, Michael Page, Rory McDonald, uh, Paul Daly, uh, Linton Vassell. These are all guys that can kind of shift tickets for them here in this market. So, yeah, looking forward to a, a good couple of weeks to be on the road, so to speak. Yeah, it's going to be good fun. It's going to be good fun. And uh, does that pretty much wrap us up this week, Sandu? Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Excellent. Within the hour as well. Who, who'd have thought it? Thank you so much to everybody who listened this week. We will preview UFC 211 next week. Uh, you can tweet us at the Brit Pack MMA. You can check out the website at thebritpackmma.com. You can subscribe. I believe it's not called iTunes anymore. It's called Apple Podcasts. Whatever you want to call it, subscribe on it. You can subscribe on Stitcher, Acast, SoundCloud, uh, anywhere else you can find half decent podcasts. Hopefully ours will be there as well. Um, we're on YouTube as well if you want to check us out on there. Uh, in audio form thank you everybody for listening that was episode number 37 get questions into us uh, ahead of next week's show at the book at MMA tweet Sandu at Sandu MMA and me at Simon Head that was the Brit Pack thank you so much for listening and we'll speak to you 